I was just reflecting on um, on um, my egg and bacon roll and thinking, you know, I was reminded of when we were in, um, um, some of us can remember, most of us can remember when we were in primary school and you were like yay high, you know, in grade prep and one and after lunch you had this, you know, the teacher would say get the mats out and you could all lay down and have a rest. How many of you fathers would like to do that right now? After the egg and bacon rolls, it would have been nice to have a few mattresses there and we could lay down and have a rest. A couple of you, I would have liked that. <laughs> Father's Day is one of these days that um, it, it's the day where you, where you do, um, where families and, and kids and you do things that, um, t- that your dad would like. You know, you do things that to please your father or you... Uh, the things that he enjoys, or you look for ways to make your father happy. Um, that's what all you kids are doing right now. You're sitting here thinking of that, aren't you? This is yes and this is no. So um, today I also want to talk about our Heavenly Father and and have a look at what makes him happy, what makes his heart happy, um, and what what is it? Uh, we, we just don't have earthly fathers, we have Heavenly Fathers. And what is it that makes our Heavenly Father happy? Or happy is kind of like a cheap word. What is it that fulfills his heart, that actually, that actually meets the passion of his heart? Um, and you probably haven't used that language with your dad this morning. You probably didn't bound into his bedroom and said, Hey, Dad, what could I do to meet the passion of your heart today? I dare you to try that next year. <laughs> so open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58, if you wouldn't mind. Um, and and we're going to have a read there and have a look at what our Father what our Father's heart is. Um, it's on the screen there, if you want to follow along. Isaiah 58, it's fairly well known. And in the message um, today, we're also going to be, as Pete said, we're going to be hearing from Gash from Rwanda and from a few others as well. But follow through with me first here in Isaiah chapter 58. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, and they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what's right and hasn't forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and and why haven't you seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and, and, and you haven't noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers... Your fasting ends in quarrelling and and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Um, Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day that's acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice? Untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free? And to break every yoke? Isn't it to share your food with the hungry and and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. And we're just going to go that far at the moment. So the context here is God's people have just came back, uh, come back after around 50 years of captiv- captivity in Babylon. You can actually catch the story in Haggai. If you read Haggai, that's kind of, that's kind of parallel to what's happening here. And they've come back and they're going to rebuild the temple. But what's happened is they've just, dro- they've just dropped right back into the systems and the ways of, of before. They've just taken up exactly the same things that they were doing before. They were pulled away into Babylon, into, into um, what's the word, captivity. So they've just gone back into their fasting rhythms, their, their temple rhythms, their, their prayer rhythms, their, their sacrificial practices. They've just carried on as if nothing changed after 50 years. But seemingly Yahweh, God, isn't happy with them. You know, God is not, it seems like God is not displeased here with some really bad behavior, rather... It's what the Judeans obviously consider their very good behavior that's gained them a spot on God's bad list. Let me say that again. It's, not, it's seemingly not things that they're doing that are bad, but the things that they're doing that they think are good 
that has got God upset. They continued the system, public practices of piety, structured worship, extensive, repeated, ritualized fasting. They had all these rituals. And this defined their religious life. These things by themselves weren't necessarily bad, but they used that to define what it was to be followers of Yahweh, followers of God. The Hebrew people were caught worshipping worship. But things had changed, and this is where it's interesting to read Haggai as well. Things had changed. The political and economic environment was anything but rosy. The legal courts were filled with corrupt officials. Taxes were staggeringly high and unfairly crippling those who were already struggling anyway. Extensive indebtedness had forced many to lose their land. And remember, land was one of these family things. Had forced people to lose their land. And they'd been indentured or almost slaved themselves off to work off their debts. Religious groups were bitterly fragmented and with various factions fighting for supremacy in the religious courts and for priority in the temple order. So this is what's going on. This is now the context that these people have come back into. And the people are kind of peeved at God when you read Isaiah 58. Despite all of their public prayers and their elaborate fasts and all of their rituals, all of their made-up popular religion, the people felt like God had turned a deaf ear to their pleas, their issues, their problems. In fact, the louder they shouted to the Lord, it seemed the fainter God's favour was. He was seemingly not hearing them. But Isaiah points out to them, well, God through, through Isaiah points out to them, he says, but look how you serve your own interests on your fast day or on your worship day. Verses 3 and 4, you know, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling, in striking each other with wicked fists and perhaps striking each other with wicked words. It's all about you, God is saying to the people. Your worship and, and the way you're doing things, it's about you. And this is not how I want my people to worship. This is not what I want to be known for, who I am. This is not how I want you to behave. Consider the context you're in. Look around you. This is not what I want to represent. This doesn't reflect my heart. So the question is then what does reflect the heart of the Father? What does Yahweh want? What is the purpose for his people? And he's really succinct. He uses two verses there to talk about what it is. Verse 6 and 7. He lays it out. He says, this is the kind of fasting. To loose the chains of injustice. Deal with the injustice in your community, in your world. To untie the cords of the yoke. People that are, that are, that are yoked to debt. People that are yoked to things that, that they shouldn't be yoked to. Stuck with things. Untie them. Set the oppressed free. Those that are being oppressed by the system. Oppressed by whatever it is. That's oppressing them and break every yoke. Share your food with the hungry. Those that, that don't have money, those that, that can't survive, share what you have with them. Provide shelter to the poor wanderer. Wow, that's, that's pretty big on our feed this week, isn't it? If you're on Facebook or in our news. When you see the naked, when people can't clothe themselves, when people can't get the very basic necessities, do it, fix it. And don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Don't turn away from your fellow human being. And he, he lays it out really clearly in just a couple of verses there, doesn't he? You know, and I think if we, if we, if we get our minds to our day and our churches and, and even just in our prayer time and, um, and, and most churches, if you're not from this church, most churches that you're a part of, as God's people, we too want God to hear us, don't we? We, we want God to hear us when we pray. We want him to help us. We want him to, to step in to the things that, that we talk to him about. We want to know his presence the same way that they wanted to, you know, that God would come near. We, we want to experience God's presence in, in so many ways, in, in our worship, in, in our personal lives, in, in, in our families, in the struggles that we have, in our, and whatever it is. We, we want to experience that too, that, that presence of God. That nearness of God. God, come near. I, I really 
Now, how many times have you caught yourself saying, or have you heard people say, oh, God, you know, I just want to know you. I just want to feel you. I just want to... We want that as well. And, and our world is also in a state of change. Um, politically, economically, uh, in terms of justice and injustice. There are huge issues in our world as well. I could go on and, and, and I could do a whole message about what, what's not well in our world, all that's not well in our world, but you know it. We talk about it here. A- and we have the same choice, don't we, that, that, that the Judeans, that, that, that the, he, God's people had then. You know, we, we can get lost in our, in our systems of, of worship. We can get lost in our practices of serving without stopping to evaluate, without looking at what's happening in our world so that we can align our actions with the purposes of God. And I'll add a note here that worship practices are not bad. You notice that he says, you know, is, it, is, this, the cast of, is this the kind of fast I've chosen in verse 5? Only a day for people. So only says that that's okay, but is it only to do that? Is that all you're supposed to do? He's not saying don't do that, but is it only about that? No, it's much bigger than that. But, you know, I, I'm thinking about One Hope Community Church, and, and, and as you do when you sit in the office over there, that you pay me for not to think about other churches, right? We can be a bit encouraged, can't we? Because at, at One Hope, w- we do know that this is our calling. We, we are made aware of it. We do, we do expose ourselves to that sort of stuff. You know, we, we have Cavell... Uh, Cavell Corner, Cavell Kitchen and, and Cap Money and, and the, the ministries that happen out of Cavell, uh, Scoresby Secondary College, Knox Soccer Club a- and those things are growing amongst us and there's this awareness that it isn't only doing what we do in church, that, that there's so much more to meeting the heart of the Father and um, we see it weekly. At, you, know, we can, you can go to Cavell any Tuesday night and you can experience it. You don't even have to just hear it. You can go on a Saturday night to a, a games night that when it's on and you can experience it. And globally too, a- and broader than that, we're stepping up. And perhaps it's less obvious. Maybe we don't see it as much. So what I wanted to do this morning, I wanted to talk about what the heart of the Father is. And I don't want to make a, a say a lot about it. He's very clear in here. But I want us to get a picture of how we're doing that globally. You can see it every week at Cavell. And that's why I've invited Gash here today and we'll have Scouty and Luke talking as well. I want us to see globally what living out verses 6 and 7 looks like. Because you can talk about it, you can flick some slides up, but what does it look like to actually set the captive free? What does it look like to actually be out there day by day feeding the hungry or or giving clothes to those that don't have clothes or an education that don't, don't have an education? or freeing the yoke of oppression that's come through a, a genocide or through trauma, what does that really look like? Because they're nice things to talk about, but you've got to be on the ground doing it to make it happen. You've got to be God's hands and feet. So I want us to, to hear that today. So I'm going to invite Gash up first. And um, Gash is, um, a few of you know Gash. Gash, come on, come on up here. And um, he's looking decidedly African in terms of colour. And his dress, although the gown from Friday night was a little more African, mate. That's okay. <laughs> Gash is, um, oh, there we go. I'm going to, there we go. Gash works with um, Ministry in Wonder through for Capel, Compelled by Love. And um, he leads the work of the, uh, the sponsorship program, particularly. He heads up that work and manages that for them. Um, but has also been involved and is involved in Empower. Now, we've all heard about Empower. We've all, we all know what happens there and the awesome work that that does. And Gash is involved and been involved with that as well. But Gash is on the ground seeing this happen in Rwanda and, and I'd really love you to hear about it. So I'm going to give you some time to share. Thank you so much, Andrew. <coughs> you have to excuse me. My voice is kind of a bit low at the moment. It's one of the things that are not agreeing with me. Here in Australia, the weather is so something for me. <coughs> Thank you, Andrew. Um, anyway, so my name is Namahoro Modest. That's Namahoro is my family name. Then Modest is my Christian name. We don't call it first name in Rwanda. We call it Christian name. 
and uh, I have a middle name as Gash, and many people call me Gash because it's short and easy, especially for Muzungus. That's white people um, in my middle tongue. So anyway, um, this is my. S <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, this is my second uh, week here in Australia, and uh, I'm loving it so far. But the weather, yeah, it's killing me. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm still having to adjust to. And a um, few other things that are killing me here uh, that I have to get myself used to are the, the ways that people, people greet me. You know, I, I go by and people go like, hey, how are you? I'm like, and in Rwanda I would have a gathering hug. You know, that's what we do. People go like, hey, hi, how are you? And that's it. And in Rwanda we go like, how was your night? <laughs> how was your morning? Kind of keep it real, you know, and, uh, and deep and connecting. But yeah, so coming from Rwanda, you know, um, when every time I say I'm from Rwanda, I always expect two questions. So you come from Rwanda? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, how was the genocide? How is genocide? And it turns out we are notoriously known of killing each other, unfortunately. That is my first characteristic. And so, Two questions that are always obvious when I, you know, people start talking about genocide are, one is, how does it happen that best friends, um, husbands and wives, sisters and brothers, all of a sudden happen to turn each other, you know, to turn against and kill each other? How does that happen? How does a nation that is 94% Christian allow one million people to die in the course of 100 days? How does that happen? To be honest with you, I don't have the answers, but I think you guys can sort of pick some of the answers from the passage that Pastor Andrew had been reading. So before the genocide, um, just like Israelites, we used to go to church, we used to sit next to each other, we used to call each other best friends, friends. Actually, we even intermarried, you know. Me personally, my mom is Tutsi, my dad is Hutu. But I guess in the end, we were just the best friends in that moment. And we were the Christian of Omiri Sunday. And uh, our faith was probably half baked, just like the Israel people were saying here. But we fast. You know, don't you see that? We, we clothe ourselves in sackcloth. Don't you see that? Don't, don't you see how we weep? Yeah, and it's actually even reflected in our culture. We have a saying that God sleeps in Rwanda, but he spends his day away. So our Christian was partial right from the beginning. We had a God of, on, of only for the night. During the day, he was not there. And it's funny, in the genocide, some people went to hide themselves during the day, but came out, no, yeah, 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 during the night, during the day they went to hide themselves, but they came out during the night hoping that God is now back at home and he's going to protect them. And they got killed. And we end up being disappointed. Where is God? Why did he leave us? We didn't have God during the day in Rwanda and we didn't have him to, you know, in our hearts to begin with. He was only there for the night. You know. in, in, in other words, he was just our host. You know, he, he would come to sleep in Rwanda Probably there was a nice hotel he was sleeping there. I don't know. Yeah. And so that is a mentality for me that is an oppression that needed to be broken through. We didn't have a God of the night. We had a God of all time. God that should have resided in our hearts. And we had these other unreal beliefs that God created three people, Hutu, Twa, and Tutsi. We traced our origin from our parents. We didn't go beyond our parents and go to God and see ourselves 
as individuals that were created by God, but rather just, you know, my dad is Hutu, so I should be Hutu because my dad is the one that determines what tribe I get to be. That's, that's where our understanding was limited. And unfortunately, those false beliefs, those mindsets, and the, that lack of understanding is what led us to genocide, where we ended up, you know. Oh, you look, you have a flat nose, you have a prominent nose, you are this, you are that, so you deserve to die, so we killed each other. How do we break through such oppression and bondage? For me, I believe, at least, it might not work for you, but for me, I believe we should begin from where the real problem lies, the hearts, the minds. And that is what the organization I stand with and myself are doing in Rwanda. You have heard of Empower, and you've ha you have heard of micro-enterprise businesses, and you have heard of uh, the programs such as education sponsorship programs. You have heard of all of that. So for me, I'll begin personally um, with Empower because that's where I got to be who I am and I got to find myself, not to see myself in the eyes of my mom or my dad or looking like more like my dad and looking less like my mom. So Empower is this program where people get to learn the truth. They get to find themselves in the eyes of God's creation, not in the eyes of our parents, you know, giving birth to us. And the first part of Empower deals with trauma, the inner wounds, and then we get the hearts rehabilitated. And once that part is done, then we deal with the forgiveness and reconciliation in the second part to f sort of try and help, you know, restore the broken, you know, broken relationships restore relations because we have communities in Rwanda where people live with each other and one is genocide victim another one is a genocide perpetrator so the genocide perpetrator always walks on eggshells around the genocide victim you know with that guilt and shame and the uh, the um, the genocide survivor you know is also bound with that and forgiving, you know, that that disappointment that they probably want to revenge, but they can't revenge because the system has laid it in place that you can't take revenge. So we first deal with those problems. And then after the minds and those hearts have been set free, people actually get together and then they go like, okay, so now we have, you know, we we have forgiven each other, we have talked through our wounds and, and all the things we experienced during genocide. Can we have something in common that we can, you know, use to sort of keep in touch, you know, and to sort of see each other on a daily basis? And also, we strengthen our reconciliation. And that is where the micro-enterprise businesses are born. People go like, let's make soap. And we have a cooperative that is making soap. One part of it is genocide survivors. Another part is genocide perpetrators. Or the wives of, of the husbands who committed the genocide. Or just the kids that are a result of rapes that don't even know who the father is. And they all come together and then they make a soap. And they sell a soap, they make income, they go to school. But more than that, they meet. I was telling you why I get challenged with this high and hey of yours. In Rwanda, we don't have that. I ask you, how are you going? Because I want to keep it real. I want to know, just besides what I'm seeing, you know, how you look, I want to know what is your heart going through? What, do you, what, what is your mind up to at this point of time that I'm speaking to you? And so after that, you know, of course, you know, they, they, they break through the, the, this cycle of poverty. They, they, they can feed themselves. They buy clothes. And we assist them, you know, myself. I have a business background in education. So I help them with business planning and all that. And then they can, you know, help. You don't want to, you know, sort of 
create this culture of dependency, but we also don't want to go like, oh, we've been pre-genocide, sorry, you know. We, we, we kind of intervene in that way, you know, just help them think of something that they can use and sustain themselves. And then, but that is not enough. So they come to us and they go like, but our kids can't go to school. And we're like, okay, so what can we do then? And then we intervene with, you know, the sponsorship, the education sponsorship. You know, um, at the moment, actually, I we have one student that just graduated from university and she's working and she's giving back to the community um, in some of the programs I'll mention a little bit later. You know, we have probably five candidates that are ready to go to university, just waiting for God's blessing to enable us to take them um, to university. And we, uh, yeah, we have other kids in primary and secondary as well. And then we can see the joy that it creates to their parents when they see their kids getting educated and coming back home and getting jobs and creating jobs themselves. And so um, in a nutshell, for me, what God is telling us here is that beyond going to church, beyond wanting to convene, we need to focus on the heart. Our hearts, our prayers, our faith need to be in line with what God is saying here. We might think that, okay, you know, for me personally, give me, giving me a piece of bread or giving me something to drink. Oh, that's good. I need that. That's physical. You know, that's a physiological need. I need that. But more than that, if you sit with me and ask me, how are you going? Tell me the truth. Tell me that I don't, you know, God did not create me Hutu or just black or white. It's what I need more than that. Finding myself, knowing the truth about myself, that is what I need. That is why once in a month, me personally, I go to visit families. And ask them, okay, so the education, that's just a part. You know, school fees, school material, that's just a part. Tell me, what else is going on here? Is your mom abusive to you? Is your dad abusive to you? What is, what's happening? And then um, we try to do it four times a year in different times to meet with the kids and ask them, so how are you going? You know, are you getting picked on, you know, at school? Is there anything else that's going on? Your eating disorders? All these other things that you know kids might be suffering from, and so all the kinds for me, I believe all the kinds of intervention are really great. Intervene in any way you can, but keep the focus on the heart, keep it real, and live out your faith. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gash. And it's awesome. You know, one of the things that you see is, um, of course, it's ground in, in, um, in the practical work that, that's happening on the ground in Rwanda. And, you know, and we've been privileged as a church to be part of that for a while. What it's doing is restoring dignity. It's actually restoring identity. It's actually taking them further than just feeding them. And hearing Gash say that, it's really encouraging. One of the other ways that we're also doing that is the work that we're doing in Uganda as well. And recently, we've had a few people from our church go, and uh, John and Annette Scout went, along with Rob and Lynette. Uh, Richard and Amy came with me. But I asked Scouty just to share a little bit on what he saw happening in Uganda in regard to, to these two verses. So I'm just going to ask Scouty to come up and share for a couple of minutes. It's much more exciting just than just listening to me speak, huh? Thanks, Andrew. Um, just reflecting on that, that trip that um, we had together, and Ken and Nicole came on that as well, but um, it was just a real privilege to go over there and I suppose witness in real life the things that we'd heard a lot about. You know, we've heard a lot of the work that happens through Hope Builders with um, the village and other initiatives that are happening there and Luke and Agnes as well. But, you know, to actually see it in real life and to experience it, um, <laughs> it's pretty emotional, and um, yeah, it's um, it's a great priv privilege to just see the outstanding and awesome work that's you know occurring over there, and this partnership that happens between people here and over there, it's um, it's just um, just unbelievable to see so many kids' lives that have changed dramatically 
uh, in a small period of time. So if you're aware, there's a, a village over there and orphans are, are brought into there and, and pro um, provided with the very basics, um, you know, a, a roof over their head, three meals a day, some education and a mum who's not perhaps their real mum but a mum nevertheless that looks after them. And um, when you arrived at the village there, there's just this um, overwhelming love from these kids and, you know, and the adults as well. You know, for us as a team to come there, so it's uh, <laughs> certainly not something you experience every day here in Australia. In fact, probably not any day <laughs> here in Australia. But um, yeah, it was just really great to see. But I suppose the thing that really rammed home for me just the, the importance of the work and the extent of the work and the value of the work was when we went to the slums. And um, Andrew's spoken a bit about that, and others have as well. But the complete contrast to what's been provided um, by way of the village and the people that look after the children there and what's not available in the slums. We, um, you know, we took a fairly extensive tour through there and we um, visited a few families and we went into, we were split up into groups and we went into uh, four homes and talked um, you know, reasonably extensively with four women there. And... Yeah, it was just, um, it's hard to describe really in words um, all the emotions that go through your mind. You kind of think how, because we came with kids from the village and it was an opportunity for some of them to touch base with some of their family and extended family. But um, the overwhelming kind of um, joy that you experience because kids have been able to come out of that village but you contrast that with the fact that there are so many that are still left behind. And, um, yeah, going into those homes and listening to those women with all different stories, whether it was um, oppression, you know, through males in their lives or just being really sick or just having their kids really sick, um, there was just a, a sense of real hopelessness amongst all that. And that's what really kind of hit me. But as I said... Um, yeah, there's the, I suppose, the fact that you can praise God that there's a way out. And so we, in a small way, are providing that way out. And um, so to be a part of that, to actually see it in real life, was just a huge privilege and it was fantastic. I suppose um, <laughs> on Father's Day, it kind of is apt to kind of recognise that um, men do have a lot to answer for in the Roomba. And I was in a lot of ways kind of ashamed to be a male, to be a husband, to be a father, because a lot of that's not happening over there. So a lot of work is being done by mums and women. And so it's just, you know, praise God that that's happening, because if it wasn't for that, then a lot of lives of children would be in jeopardy much more than what they are today. So I suppose with a lot of things, you know, unless you're actually aware of it, you know, it's easy to kind of um, be quite removed from it all. And um, even when we support and we give money and we support the people that go over there, but I experienced, you know, the, you know, quite a, a quantum leap, I suppose, in the, the ability to recognise what's happening over there and just um, the awesome work that's happening through Hope Builders. And um, there are guys that are doing great work over there. You know, there's blokes involved in the village there who are just giving, you know, um, the boys as much of a kind of male influence in their lives, and that's a really good thing. But can I just encourage you to not just um, listen to the words of Hope Builders and read the words of Hope Builders, and, and, and if you contribute, that's a fantastic way too. But if there's a way in which you can immerse yourself a little bit deeper in that, as I've experienced, I'd really encourage you to do that. Thanks. Thanks, John. <coughs> um, so if you can indulge me for just another few minutes um, before I, I round up what I'm going to say. I, I, I asked Luke this week whether he wanted to share anything with the church. And so he's, um, I asked him to do a three to five minute video. It was five minutes. So um, I've just got a video of Luke just talking to us as a church. Um, just sharing about what what's working for him, how uh, how he's meeting, how he feels like on the ground they're meeting some of the things that God's calling him to do. 
but by extension, what we're doing. So again, you know, this is encouragement for us. The stuff in Rwanda, the stuff in Uganda, you know, we're being a part of that, and I want to encourage us with that. So maybe we can just roll that uh, that piano. everyone there at One Hope Community Church. Um, greetings from Uganda. I uh, just wanted to take the time to send this video to um, give you a bit of an update on how uh, we've been going with the ministry work and also how Agnes and I are doing personally. Um, yeah, we, you know, we're doing, doing good, the ups and downs of life here. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of blessings and uh, as far as ministry work goes, we've seen... Um, uh, recently, the t our tailoring girls have just finished their one-year tailoring course, and it's been really cool. And they had a graduation party on um, last Friday, uh, you know, celebrated. And so these girls are going to go now with their machines, which they've managed to pay off half of the uh, half of the cost of the machines and start their own businesses or look for employment. And and also, you know, I we, we want to start a new tailoring group of girls maybe in November. So we're needing to, you know, look into their sponsorship as well and how we're going to um, start up ne that next class. Yeah. We've also, Farouk and I have been very busy because we've started up our own chicken business, chicken farming business, which will be there to help train young guys and also hopefully be a way to make a bit of an uh, income for YSU as well. And uh, we have 300 little chicks at the moment, and they're a lot of work. They need to, you know, uh, food and water to be changed every four hours. Um, that's at night time as well. Also, um, we've, you know, been investing in training up leaders here, leaders in the community who work with youth, and um, uh, we run an Empower as well with a group of leaders here. We wanted them to go through it and potentially to see them as well being able to, to run, you know, more counselling and trauma rehabilitation stuff with us. Um, as we kind of look at growing our team and expanding our team. We've also, I've, I've been involved with young guys and uh, discipling a group of maybe about four young guys and we meet up you know, maybe once or twice a week and just do life together, pray together, but also study the Bible and go deep into theology. And quite a few of, quite a few of them have, uh, they come from uh, families, backgrounds with different faiths, so Muslim families or uh, Baha'ism uh, families as well. And so as a result of them coming to Christ, um, you know, they've suffered, you know, a bit of, you can say, passive persecution in their life where education opportunities and even f eating food and things like that has, have been, has been cut off from them because uh, uh, their families don't want to give them the support anymore now that they are Christians. So, and, but the, just the joy they have in Christ among uh, uh, you know among all that it's it's really inspiring to me but you know we pray for those young guys because you know we're, we're trying to look at ways at how we can support them as well um especially because these are our brothers in christ and when brothers in christ are being persecuted you know the church needs to um respond to that i think also um personally agnes and i you know we're doing good you may have heard already but agnes is uh four months pregnant so we're expecting a little baby in january uh, which we're both excited about. Agnes is very tired at the moment. Um, uh, first, first trimester, first three months was a bit um, up and down. Agnes having complications, but we can say that things are looking really good and she's looking healthy and the baby inside the, the tummy is looking healthy as well. So we thank God for that and God's blessing in that. Also, I've managed to get a two-year working visa, which is fantastic and cost me a lot of money and it, it cost me a lot of time and, and patience but um but it's there and I, I really thank God that 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 sets me up for two years and also it's just it's good to have that because it sets me up long term in the future it's going to make going for visas a lot more easier in the future now that I have this uh credible working visa at the moment um we're at the moment applying for Agnes's partner visa as well to so that she'll be able to come into Australia whenever she pleases and live for as, as long as she wants to and come in and out of the country. So prayers for us um, that that application will go through. Lastly, I'll say, you know, just the general ups and downs of ministry work, um, you know, um, just to rely, to stay trusting in God and, you know, putting our joy, making sure our joy is coming from God and not from 
situations because you know sometimes sometimes things can be really good here and other times it can be really hard and really frustrating and so yeah just you know testing my patience and and making sure that you know we're finding joy in God so One Hope Community Church I just want to say thank you so much for all your support and for partnering with Agnes and I here in uh in Uganda with our our work among the youth um you guys are active partners in this and this is much bigger than Agnes and I and we can't do this ourselves so we really thank you so much for that and God bless you guys I will convey the clap so are you encouraged isn't it encouraging to see the reach that you can have as a church so I've, I've, got a couple, I've got a couple of minutes to go, so I want you to stand up and tell someone, that is awesome. Rwanda is awesome. Uganda is awesome. Luke and Agnes are awesome. Stand up, turn around, stretch yourself and tell somebody that and then give me five more minutes. <coughs> I heard a lot of wows and awesomes in the front here. You can sit down again now. Thanks. So let me just let me just focus us back on on, on the heart of God because really that's what it's about. You, you, we can pat each other on the back and, and that's a good thing, and we can be encouraged by what we're doing. But this is really about what we're supposed to be doing. This is this is what's supposed to be the normal, not the extraordinary. This is what God calls us to do. So why do we do this? To encourage, yep, but also to challenge us. You know, there's this kind of, there's the stuff in Rwanda that we're doing, that in Uganda. Um, does it have the profile it should in our church? The work we do at Cavell and that. Think of things like time, resources, effort, energy, prayer. Where does this kind of work rank in all of those areas, in our resources, in our prayer, in our, in our energy, in our time? And is this a big part of how you see yourself serving God personally and how you live? On balance, when we, look at our, our li- at when we look at how our lives of worship, both personally and corporately, align with God's heart, where are we? Is this a big part of how you see what you do personally as well? You know what Scouty said, it's, it's, you know, uh, it's taking that, it's a quantum leap between hearing about it and seeing and then actually experiencing it. Along with the way we do this locally, we want to do it and, w- and we need to do it well globally as well. It can be harder because it's out of sight, but it's just as important. Both of those things, when we talk about how we do this, both in our church and in the community, in the world, these things must be a part of a church's corporate way to worship. But it must also be a part of our personal worship. You know, we don't just carry Rwanda, uh, Uganda, Scoresby, in our hearts as, as a church corporate, that only happens when we carry it personally in our hearts as well. Why is it important to stress this? What difference does it really make? And here's where I want to read a little bit further. And if you've, uh, if you've got your Bibles up, you can have a look at the screen. I want to read what God says right after those verses. I want you to have a look at what God says there. And he says, he goes, he says, you know, to... And he finishes up, when you see the naked to clothe them and don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then verse 8, and then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he'll say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and the malicious talk. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Who doesn't want those things? Put your hand up. 
Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to experience God saying, here I am? Who doesn't want to feel God as your rear guard, as as you're heading into life? Who doesn't want to know that the light of God is going to shine out of you? Who doesn't want to know that the Lord will guide you always and satisfy your needs? Now, who does not want that? What church wouldn't want to position itself to have that kind of presence of God in their community and in them and working through them? Who as a follower would not want this experience? You know, the challenge today is to, to listen and rejoice and, and celebrate what we do and, and what we've heard from Gash and Scouty and, and Luke. But the challenge is to find your place in it, not just to ignore it. And it's for us as One Hope Community Church to find an appropriate place in this too. Sure, we can celebrate and we should what God is already doing through us. We can give thanks hugely. We seriously can. However, we need to grow it. We need to expand it. And we can't leave it to those few special people that decide to go on a trip or, or to live over there and work or, or spend their time in Rwanda or, or give their attention to that. We can't leave it to those few special people. I believe that this is a bigger part of God's plan for us as followers and as, and as a church here than is actually reflected in our processes, priorities and resources right now. Let me say that again because I'm the missions pastor, I can say this. I believe that this is a bigger part of God's plan for us than is actually reflected currently in our processes, priorities and resources. Bold statement. I think it is. I think of things like when I look at the percentage of time we give to it, the percentage of our ministry statement we give to it, and I think it isn't reflected the way that it should be. Again, my side note is I'm the missions pastor. I'm supposed to say that, but I really believe it too. Now, whilst we don't want to serve God for reward, God himself here links obedience to blessing. God does it. He says, if you do this, then I'm going to hear you. Then the light of God's going to shine out of you into the community, into the world. Then I will answer you. Then I'll guide you always. I want that. I want that for our church. I know our leadership wants that for the church. We've been praying about that. I believe there's a secret here. I don't believe that what we do is wrong, but I believe that there's a secret here that we need to get hold of. And I believe for each one of us personally, there's a question here. How can you become more obedient here? How can we as one hope become more obedient in this? No, we can't all go. We don't all have the same gifts. But God has given every single one of us a way, think about it, to contribute and don't hold that back. I'm going to finish there and I, I'm, you know me, I'm going to get really enthusiastic about missions and I'm going to pound on you all the time. But I think it's important. I think we have to listen to the heart of God. And we have to see that historically God has linked, He's walking with His people with them walking with the broken world. And if we're not doing that, we're we're missing some of the heart of God. I often say when people go on mission trips, some of them will never ever go back to Rwanda or Uganda or wherever they go again. But there's something of the heart of God that you experience there that you can't experience when you stay in your own context. And I think that that's the truth. And this is the heart of God. Now we're going to finish in a really interesting way. What we're going to do is I'm going to encourage you... um, to do something right now, and we're gonna we're gonna just make this practical, but in a in a way that we can all do this. I'm gonna split. I'm gonna ask Gash and um, and Karen and and Rob um, to to stand over this side of the church, and I'm gonna have Scouty and, and Amy and Johan to stand over that side of the church, and I want you to split, and we're gonna pray for the two minute for the two countries. And they're going to they're gonna take, it might be Johan or it might be Scouty or something, they're going to take, or it might be Rob or, or Gash or Karen over there, they're going to take two minutes to share a couple of prayer needs. Now, guys, heads up for you sharing prayer needs. You could probably take 15 minutes to share prayer needs because you've probably got a stack. Prioritize them. You know, share a couple of prayer needs. I want you to listen to those prayer needs, and then I want you to break into smaller groups of four and pray for those prayer needs for five minutes. Okay. Let me say it again because it's confusing. You're going to split over to Rwanda or Uganda. You're going to listen for two minutes to some prayer needs. 
and I know that both places have some pretty critical prayer needs. And then you're going to break into groups of four and you're going to pray for five minutes. And then when time's up, I'm just going to call out and close the prayer. So listen up for that as well, can you? So can we do that right now? Can we have the uh, Johan and Scouty and Amy go over there and the Rwanda guys go over there? And um, I'll trust you guys to share. And the rest of you got to get up too and, and go and go to a, you know go somewhere and have a listen and have a pray. This is where it starts. This is what you can do. Father God, we just want to, um, even though we have prayers that we're continuing on, Lord, we, we want to thank you for the opportunity of being your hands and feet. We want to thank you for the opportunity of uh, understanding your heart and for being able to practically live that out. Lord, we thank you that um, that, that happens, Lord, that you care for the, the, the hungry the orphans, the widows, the oppressed, those that are suffering injustice, Lord, that you care for them even more, that w- more than we do. But Lord, thank you for sharing that with us and allowing us to be part of that. Lord, and I pray that we would be found willing to, to go to a new level, another level at understanding what it means to answer your heart's cry in this. But Lord, what it also means for us, Lord, when we continue to cry out for you, to you to to hear us to 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 lead us to guide us to to bless us to grow us to to let us be a great witness to um all of the things that we're asking for lord lord i pray that we would also be ready to align ourselves with you so that that would be part of our joy as well thank you this morning lord for for the ministries that we've been able to focus on thank you for gash and lord for the work that he does in, in Rwanda, for compelled by love for the efforts that they're putting into um, providing and supporting the infrastructure and the leadish leadership and the guidance and so many of the resources for the work there, the breaking some of the, the strongholds there that Gash shared about. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for the work in, in Uganda that, that Hope Builders is doing. Lord, for the hungry that are fed, the, the, clo- the kids that are clothed and those that have a future. Lord, and for also breaking the cycle of poverty there too. Lord, we thank you that we can be part of that as a church. And Lord, I pray we thank and thank you that we can be part of that as individuals and pray that we discover how to do that in a greater measure. Lord, we thank you too that we can um, even give thanks to fathers today. But we want to thank you for being the best father, our heavenly father. And we thank you that we belong to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.